The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. It's time to open the scriptures together, and so if you have not already done so, let me encourage you to open a Bible with me to Psalm 123. So if you've got a Bible, open it to Psalm 123, or if you want to take advantage of a digital Bible, always encouraging you to check out the ESV Bible app that's done by Crossway. I know you can find it both on Apple and Android platforms, and uh, it's a wonderful resource. Uh, But nothing really beats having a Bible in your hands. And so whatever means you have of turning to the Scriptures, I hope you'll join me in Psalm 123 this morning. And uh, we took a, a pause for Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday last week, but what we've been doing during this period of quarantine when really the church is in something of an exile in our homes, we're not together, is we have been looking in the book of Psalms, particularly this group of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascents. And the Psalm of Ascents runs from Psalm 120 to 134, and this is a particular group of Psalms that sojourners and travelers would use as they praise God on their way up, ascending to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount, which is on an elevated plain there in Jerusalem. But what we've been seeing so far is that in Psalm 120, if you want to look back there, the psalmist was at that time in a place where he didn't want to be, and he longed to go and worship with the people of God in Jerusalem at the Temple And then in Psalm 121, the psalmist is on the way, but on the way he's encountering troubles as he lifts his eyes to the hills and asks, where does my help come from? And the answer, of course, is his help comes from the Lord, who he is going to worship. And then in Psalm 122, the psalmist delights that he has entered the gates of Jerusalem as he is in and near the people of God in the temple there to worship God, and he exalts there in that glorious city. But now we come to Psalm 123, and the psalmist is uh, certainly there in Jerusalem. He is present with the people of God. He has come to worship, but even as he has come to worship, there's distractions and there's troubles and difficulties. And just like you and I, we come to worship this morning, and there are troubles, and there are things that would seek to, to take our minds away from the Lord. Uh, And so we come to Psalm 123 this morning, this psalm of ascents, and we want to see not only what the psalmist was intending when he originally wrote these words by divine inspiration, but also how you and I, as the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, can use Psalm 123 and pray it and sing it in our particular season as well. And so if you've got your Bible open, let me pray and ask God's blessing upon his word, and then we will hear it together. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we come now and turn to your word, the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that is able to divide the thoughts and intentions of all mankind. Lord, we come to you that we might have fellowship with you in the scriptures, your living word. And so I pray that as the Holy Spirit so moved the psalmist to record these words for us, that that same Spirit, your Spirit, might rest upon us, might rest upon our minds to give illumination and understanding, might rest upon our ears to open them that we might hear, and might rest upon our hearts that we might receive your word 
for what it is, uh, the very truth, the very breath of you, the living and eternal God. And so, Lord, come now. Come now in this time and give illumination to your scriptures. For we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And now hear the word of God from Psalm 123 entitled, Our Eyes Look to the Lord, of God, Lord Our God. This is the word of God. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. And so may he write his eternal truth upon our hearts today as we consider how you and I might sing and pray Psalm 123. Well, Psalm 123 is asking a question, and it's simply this. Where are you looking? Uh, The psalm is very focused on the action of looking. It's emphasizing the eyes and where we turn our eyes. I want us to remember a truth that I think is difficult for us to remember, One that doesn't necessarily bring us joy to remember, but it's this, that that you and I as Christian believers are not promised a life of ease. You and I are not promised a life of trouble that's danger-free and free of any kind of anxiety. And I know it's a beautiful day outside, uh, and I'm sorry to bring your thoughts immediately to this idea of trouble, but it's a reality, isn't it, of living in a fallen world? We have so much pressure on us as Christian believers, especially when we find ourselves in trouble because of what the the world is saying around us and what the message around us is in the culture. There is so much pressure for you as a Christian to just throw your hands up and say, enough. Enough's enough. I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to hang on. I've tried to pray, but it's not working. And the psalmist here knows something of that kind of discouragement as he has had more than enough of contempt. You see that at the end of verse 3. The psalmist is fed up with the struggles of this fallen world and the contempt and the scorn that is heaped upon them. And we'll see what that means a little bit later on. But I want us, I want us today to not give in to discouragement. I want us today to not throw up our hands and quit. I want us, in the directive of the psalm, to pay attention to where we are looking and to do what the psalm directs us to do, which is to lift our eyes to God in heaven. So uh, the way I want to approach this psalm this morning is I want to do two main things. The first is I want us to, to, to give consideration to who it is that we're praying to, because this is a psalm of prayer. 
So who are we praying to? Who are we looking to? Who is our God is the first thing that we want to be looking at. And then secondly, after we see who our God is, I want us to consider some encouragements for prayer. Praying 101, some thoughts for basic prayer this morning. As we approach Psalm 123, I want us to see who our God is, and then secondly, how we approach this God in prayer, and some encouragements as we do so. So that's what we're looking at this morning in Psalm 123. So first of all, let's think about who our God is, who it is that we're praying to, who receives our prayers, who is this God? You'll see in Psalm 123, verse 1, To you, to you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Who is this you? Who is this God that we pray to? Uh, We turn to the Lord, the Lord our God. You'll notice this repetition again about where we're looking and where we're turning our eyes four times in verses 1 to 2. It mentions our eyes and where we're looking. In verse 1, it's lift up. Three times in verse 2, it's where we're looking to. Where are we looking? And we as the people of God, as Christian believers, are looking to our Lord and our King and our God, but... We're in a time when many people are looking elsewhere. The psalmist is wanting to know, where are we looking? Many people might be looking many different places today, but you and I are being called to fix our gaze on the greatness of our God, our triune God who reigns in heaven. And as we think about this God, I want us to think about him in two ways. First, I want us to think about him in his greatness and in his majesty and in his infinite distance from us, first of all. And then secondly, I want us to consider him in his nearness to us. So who is our God? First of all, let's think of him in his infinite distance from us, his greatness. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the one who the psalmist says in verse 1, who is enthroned in the heavens. He is the great sovereign. He is the great king. He is the great Lord over all things. When we approach God in prayer, we are recognizing and adoring and confessing his greatness and his sovereignty and his power. You can keep your finger in Psalm 123 there, but I'm turning over to Nehemiah chapter 9 because this is a really good example of how Nehemiah prays, recognizing God's great power. When we think about the one who is enthroned in the heavens, listen to the way Nehemiah prays in Nehemiah 9 verse 6 when he says, You are the Lord, you alone, you have made the heaven." The heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Nehemiah is praying to his God, and it's the same God from Psalm 123, which is the one who is enthroned in the heavens. You and I believe that as well. We confess that together in the Apostles' Creed. One of the first things we say is, I believe in God the Father. The what? The maker of heaven and earth. And when we're saying that, we're saying there is none greater than him. There is none more powerful. There is none stronger. We come to this God believing that we are not equals with him. 
He is greater than us. You see that emphasis in verse 2. The psalmist is praying to the one who's enthroned in heaven as one who approaches his master as a servant. As the eyes of the servants, verse 2, look to their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord. He is not like us. He is greater than us. And we, as the people of God, must have our minds filled with his greatness with his power and with his might. There is not a place in all the universe in which God cannot be found. He is omnipresent, we say. He can be found everywhere. There is nothing that can be known that God does not know. He is the creator of knowledge. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. No one informs him of anything. And we think about his power, the one who by speaking created the heavens and the earth, who didn't use pre-existing materials, but simply spoke and by the words of his mouth created everything that we see. There's nothing he can't do. The omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God and the psalmist is saying, that's my God. The one who's enthroned in the heavens, the one who reigns, the sovereign of heaven and earth, his greatness. And when we linger on that point, and it's important that we do linger on his greatness and in his power, it can sometimes be daunting to us because we think this great God who reigns in heaven, how can he possibly know me and how can he possibly be near to me if he's so distant in his sovereignty and in his power and in his greatness can he also be near to me at the same time and the answer is yes because this God who is infinitely great is the same God who is at the end of verse 2 the Lord our God here the psalmist is reflecting on the covenant name of God, Yahweh. He's not just the God out there. He is our God as the people of God. Our Father, as Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father, which is in heaven. He's not just some distant maker. He is our covenant redeemer. The God who tells us the story of his grace and who invites us into that story. And the psalmist is calling upon the name of the Lord our God. And just like uh, the psalmist is doing here, uh, turning back to Nehemiah who gives us an example of this. Because Nehemiah in his prayer in chapter 9 doesn't just pray about God's greatness. He also prays about God's nearness as he rehearses the story of redemption. Nehemiah chapter 9, 7 and 8 says this, You are the Lord. The God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant. You see, Nehemiah is able to pray and say, You are the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, and you are our God. You are the God who called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you are the God who led your people out of slavery in Egypt through Moses. You are the God who delivers us. You are the God who reigns over us. You are the God who sent your son, the Lord Jesus. We pray believing in the infinite majesty of God and in his covenant nearness to us when we say to him, this is who you are. This is who you reveal yourself to be, and I believe it. 
I believe that you are our God. I believe that what you say about yourself is true. And so I turn to you. What we're doing when we pray is we are, in the words of Psalm 123, lifting our eyes to behold God in his greatness and in his covenant nearness to us. That's what we do. And so as we have our minds filled with the majesty and the sovereignty of God and in the story of his grace and covenant redemption, this is the God we come to. And so now how how should we come to him? Because we've established his greatness and established his mercy, what do we come to him asking for? Psalm 123 leads us, I think, through some directives, some very basic thoughts that are helpful to us as we seek to pray during this time. So here are four encouragements for prayer. Four encouragements from Psalm 123. First of all, I want us to see that what we pray for is mercy. We pray for mercy rather than for what we deserve. You see this emphasis? The first emphasis is on where we're looking. The second emphasis is on mercy. You see at the end of verse 2, we're looking till he has mercy upon us. And then the plea in verse 3, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. Mercy is one of those Bible words that I think gets confused with other words. Usually when we think about mercy, we associate mercy and grace and goodness, and we just string those words together without differentiation. Think just for a moment here that when we think about the goodness of God, we think about everything that he is and all of the emanations of his glory, his, his mercy, his grace, his peace, his joy, his love, etc. And grace and mercy are definitely part of God's goodness. But grace and mercy are not the same thing. Grace is the granting of favor to those who do not deserve it. We usually think about grace in response to sin. Grace is shown to the undeserved in response to sin. But mercy, mercy deals more with kindness and compassion. Mercy is a response to misery. Think about it like this. This is what A.W. Pink says. He says that mercy describes the ready inclination of God to relieve the misery of fallen creation. And so mercy presupposes sin. So grace is a response to sin. Mercy is a response to misery. Or if you want another picture of this, if you want another example, you can look at this a little bit later on. But in Mark chapter 10, we have the story of blind Bartimaeus and Jesus passes him by. Mark chapter 10 at verse 46 says this, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. Mercy 
is what we ask for when we come to God in prayer, like blind Bartimaeus, saying, Lord, I can't do for myself. Help me. Have mercy upon me. Lord, have mercy upon me and this misery or this sadness or this sickness or this pain. Have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon my family. Have mercy upon my child. Have mercy upon my job. Have mercy upon my nation and my home. Whatever the case might be, we pray, Lord, have mercy to me in misery. Have mercy. And we can pray for mercy. God hears us. The second thing that we do when we pray is we don't just ask for mercy, but we also remember the need to have patience. An encouragement for us in our prayers is the need to have patience. And so if you're a person that says, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now, right? This is something that we need to remember. That God answers our prayers not so immediately. Do you see it at the end of verse 2? Our eyes are looking to the Lord of God, to the Lord our God, till he has mercy on us. Till he has mercy on us. It's something of realizing that there's a delay and the psalmist is waiting. Sometimes prayer can be difficult. Sometimes prayer can be something of a fight. We wrestle with this. The psalmist is saying, I'm going to lift my eyes and look to the Lord and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray and I'm going to keep praying till he has mercy. You get this sense that the psalmist has prayed this prayer before. Maybe you have prayers that you have something on repeat. You feel like a broken record before heaven's throne. You say, Lord, I've been here before. I've asked this before, and here I am again. But I'm going to ask and ask and keep asking till you have mercy. The prayers that we pray most often for our family, for our loved ones, these are things that we pray and wait on. And sometimes it feels like the prayer is not being answered. And even still, while we wait, sometimes it feels like it may be getting worse and not better. And we're tempted to think, if God hasn't intervened by now, it must mean he doesn't care. But the psalmist is teaching us this lesson of patience, that I will lift my eyes and pray and plead for mercy until it comes, till he has mercy upon us. What you and I cannot possibly comprehend is the manifold ways in which God is working out his purposes and orchestrating our lives. That even in the prayers that we pray that are left unanswered or perhaps answered not yet, we realize that God is still at work. There is a sense here that in the waiting, our faith is refined and strengthened and our trust in God deepens because we say, in the words of Psalm 130, I will wait for you. I will wait. Loved one, maybe you need to say to your soul today, soul, wait upon the Lord. And use the words of Psalm 123, I will wait upon you until you have mercy. It takes faith to pray and faith to wait and wait and wait some more. But I will pray until he has mercy. And so we learn patience and we also learn endurance. 
We also learn endurance. You see it here in verses 3 and 4. Now I said the psalmist here teaches us patience, but it also teaches us endurance. And some people might say, isn't patience and endurance the same thing? And not exactly. Patience is when we accept delay and wait, but endurance is when we wait under hardship, when it's not easy. The psalmist here is teaching us endurance rather than succumbing. You find here that the psalmist is experiencing contempt. Verse 3, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our souls have had more than enough, verse 4, of contempt from two kinds of people. One, of the scorn of those who are at ease, and secondly, of the contempt of the proud. What this likely is referencing is, is that the scorn of those who are at ease is probably... Israelites who have turned away from faithfulness. They have turned away from the difficult task of praying and waiting and turned their eyes to look somewhere else and there they experience what seemingly seems to be a sense of ease. And the psalmist is tempted. He's tempted by the earthly ease that these unfaithful Israelites are experiencing and he is saying enough of this contempt. I don't want to turn my eyes there but also it's the contempt of the proud which likely refers to those who are unbelievers altogether. Those people that have contempt towards the faithful and who look upon them and say why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting your time uh, attending church? Don't you know church is closed? You don't have to go. Why are you wasting your time doing that? Go do something else. And in their arrogance, they are trying to get the faithful people to look away from faithfulness to their God. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, we have had so much contempt. Contempt from those who are at ease. Contempt of those who are proud. Contempt from those who are trying to get us to fix our eyes on something else. But we will look to you. And we will look to you still. And we will wait with endurance. And mercy comes to those who wait patiently with endurance. Mercy comes in the form of endurance. And when we pray for it, it might look differently. Maybe mercy... Maybe God's mercy will change other people's contempt towards you. Maybe God's mercy will change their disposition and they won't mock you and they won't deride you and they won't encourage you to turn your eyes away from the Lord. Or maybe God's mercy will change your heart toward them and you won't feel so antagonized. You won't feel the weight of contempt. Maybe God's mercy will give you more patience to endure. Maybe God's mercy might take a more unexpected form as the one who holds contempt sees by way of your faithfulness the beauty of God and their heart is turned to trust in Him as well. Whatever, whatever it might be, God's mercy comes to those who endure even contempt from people. And so we, we're learning here in this psalm that when we pray, we can pray for mercy and we learn patience and we learn endurance. But finally, I want us to consider how you and I as Christian believers especially can use these words in Psalm 123 and how we can have confidence that we can pray this psalm and ask God for mercy. You and I can ask for mercy because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. 
we can pray for mercy and believe that it will come because of what he has done for us. Because we are in Christ, because we are in union with Jesus Christ through the adoption of his spirit, we can cry out to God in heaven who is our Father in heaven and we can cry out for mercy and the answer is yes. Lord, have mercy and the answer is yes, dear child, I will have mercy upon you. And I want you to remember why the answer from God for mercy is yes. The answer to your prayer and my prayer for mercy is yes. Because when Jesus, in his earthly ministry, and especially during his passion, when he prayed for mercy, the answer was no. Jesus bore the weight of contempt. Jesus bore the weight of shame. Jesus bore the weight of sin. And the Father had no mercy upon our substitute Savior. But because judgment has been poured out upon him in our place, when you and I, through Christ, pray for mercy, the answer is yes. Yes, dear child, because I love you. Yes, dear child, because of my son. Because my son has gone forward in your place and borne the weight of the punishment of your sin, your prayer for mercy is always answered with yes. God will have mercy upon us for Jesus' sake. And so, dear friends, loved ones, people of God, I hope you are encouraged today to lift your eyes Lift your eyes to the God who reigns in heaven and also the God who is near to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And as we approach that God praying for mercy, may he give to you patience. May he give to you endurance. And may he give to you the knowledge of the gospel and the glory of Christ so that coming in Jesus' name, you might know that the answer to your cries for mercy is always yes in Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going now to sing this psalm that we've just looked at, Psalm 123. It's to the tune of Amazing Grace. It's very easy to sing along, and so let's do that together as we praise God singing Psalm 123. Have mercy on 
Have mercy upon us, O Lord, as the scriptures direct us, so we pray. Have mercy upon your people for the sake of Jesus Christ. We look to you enthroned in heaven and we pray. Look upon us in all of your kindness and strengthen us and uphold us in your grace. For we pray now, believing that you will, believing that you will grant us endurance and patience. For we pray in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.